there's so much of what takes place now that didn't occur to me. I used to actually think of myself as someone who had a pretty good imagination. And I've come to think that actually my imagination is sorely lacking. And on like a daily basis, I, uh, I am surprised on a daily basis. I am surprised by what I what I hear and what I see. Okay, one of the uh, rules, one of the obligations of citizenship that uh, you talk about in your book, and it's a book called The Book of Obligations, is uh, obligation number five is reject violence. Uh, what does that mean, and how? why would that even be necessary to remind people of? <laughs> well, first off, Several of my obligations, I'm sorry, that I don't even include. I would have thought they were pretty obvious. The idea of putting country before person or party or rejecting violence, given the one you just na named. Uh, but there we, uh, there we are. Look, the idea that differences somehow justify the use of violence against those who disagree with you, I would argue, is uh, antithetical to uh, democracy. I got to tell you, Michael, I spent three years as the U.S. envoy. My last job when I was in government, I spent part of my time as the U.S. envoy to Northern Ireland's peace process. And I saw what violence can do to a society. We're not talking civil war, but we're talking random but regular acts of politically inspired violence. And we could have that here. We could have the odd assassination. We could have people violently disrupting some type of a public rally of a candidate. We could have state houses attack the way the Capitol was on January 6th. So it, it can it can happen uh, here. And what we need to do is make it clear that that is unacceptable. It's illegitimate. Politicians need to denounce it. Religious authorities need to uh, need to denounce it. Essentially, there ought to be no space for that, because if there's space for that, that's the end of American democracy. That's the end of our economy and our society as we as we've known it. Aside from uh, effective law enforcement and more attention to mental illness, what do we do to curb that kind of violence? I'm I'm thinking about the attack on Paul Pelosi, on Nancy Pelosi's husband, and the fact that there were some people on the right who thought it was a fake, who thought it was a fraud, other people who made fun of it. I mean, here you have, a, what, an 81-year-old guy who's smashed over the head and suffers a concussion with a hammer by someone who's clearly insane and claims to be politically motivated. Uh, when something like that doesn't produce universal horror, uh, how, do we, how do we move to put that into proper context? It's an easier question to raise than it is to answer. Again, I'm sorry that you even have to ask that question. I would say that's a big responsibility for religious authorities. People still go to church in this country, maybe not quite as frequently as they used to, but they still do, or synagogue or mosque. Uh, that's what sermons are there for. And to criticize the, that kind of violence uh, against people, even if it's, or especially if it's politically motivated, there ought to be no no space for that in this society and people ought to be denounced parents ought to make clear when that story comes out they ought to talk to their kids about it teachers can talk about it you know, there's not going to be a solution to what ails us simply by a president saying this or that or even a president modeling good behavior as much as i, I like seeing that i think it's going to take many people in the society who have positions of influence 
and also journalists, people if, uh, who across the political spectrum, whether we're talking about MSNBC or Fox, uh, regardless, uh, that ought to basically be saying there's no place for this sort of thing. One of the um, obligations that you write about in this book of obligations, and it's sort of laid out like the Ten Commandments, it's the Ten Habits of Good Citizens, is the habit of uh, teaching of uh, civics. Now, I know that there are people, uh, again, on the right, who are worried about more teaching of civics, that that will just be a cause for uh, left-wing propaganda. Uh, what do we do to make sure that teaching civics isn't teaching one political perspective or another? You're exactly right, and you have it on both sides. You have people on the left who also worry about the content of civics. Look, I think there's certain things that are just things that are relevant. To read the Constitution is not a right-wing or a left-wing position. To read the article, uh, to read the Articles of Confederation, to read the Federalist Papers, to read de Tocqueville, to read certain Supreme Court decisions, to read the inaugural speeches of the president, to read Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. These are not left-wing or right-wing. These are just important parts of American history. To know certain things historically that they happened is, again, straightforward, where there's controversy. There, I think we expose students to various interpretations. I don't think we should impose a single view or interpretation of history, but I think we should want every American to be exposed to the basic documents, to the basic uh, facts and events, and then to the, expose them to various schools of thought as to how to interpret these. And then I think in classrooms that opens up all sorts of opportunities for, for debates and, uh, and, and the rest. So I'm sympathetic to those who are worried about a single or narrow interpretation of history being imposed on their on their child and I, I don't think that should, I, I don't think that should happen well, you're good to raise it and by the way in three years we're going to be celebrating the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th 2026 so uh, one of the goals ought to be between now and then to get more people to be able to answer your question about what we celebrate on the the 4th of July look in for, to be it's, it's ironic. You'd never think in this day and age with Google and the rest that we'd have a problem with information, but we do. We've got so much of it out there, but a lot of it is, is bogus. And one of the analogies I use is one of, with a doctor. If you were sick, you, you wouldn't just get a single opinion from a doctor. You'd get a second opinion. I'd say the same thing with information. No one ought to depend simply on one source. Everybody ought to multi-source their, their, where they get their information from. Second of all, I'd say do not, repeat, not depend on social media. Remember the first word, social. It's not serious media. It's not factual media. It's social media. So you can go there for social reasons, but don't go there for, for information. Go to places instead that actually have editors, that have something of a, of a reputation for authenticating their news, that traffic in, in facts. So there's lots of things that have to be done. One thing that's happening, by the way, just an experiment in the state of New Jersey, is uh, to teach, to require in public schools that kids learn uh, what's called information literacy. And the idea is not to teach anybody what to think, obviously, but to teach them how to be critical consumers of information. Where do you go for good information? What sort of questions should you be asking? How do you avoid bad information? How do you know a fact when you see one? So I think there's things we can do in our schools to help there. But basically, any citizen ought to, you know, 
be very careful about where they go and always get more than get more than one source. Oh, so speaking about more than one source, right now there's great division about the indictments that were handed uh, down on Friday for President Trump uh, regarding the mishandling of highly classified papers. In general, there's one point of view that says that good citizenship requires that the law be applied to everybody, no matter how powerful or on what side politically. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, you hear, hear people saying, look, uh, any prosecution is discretionary. And this actually is something that is only going to push people apart even more, have even more polarization in America. Where do you come down? Is this um, uh, necessarily a positive or negative impact on the United States and our desires to unify the country? Look, it's divisive, but I still think it's necessary. I think there ought to be a high bar, though, to... Uh, charge a former president, and obviously he enjoys every right of any citizen. He's innocent till proven uh, otherwise. But I think it's you know the idea that no individual is above the law is an important dimension of American uh, democracy. We put, we gained our independence two and a half centuries ago in part to establish that. Uh, that's one of the basic uh, precepts of, of American democracy. So I, th I think it's fair, and the president should have every opportunity to uh, for uh, for a fair and thorough defense he, uh, at, at a minimum. What about this entire idea of the weaponization of our various agencies of government? Uh, it's interesting. Today, President Trump posted something on Truth Social about he would, quote, go after, and he uses the term go after, the Biden family, the first thing when he's elected. Do we need to move a little bit away from this uh, politics of personal destruction? Uh, yes, uh, and there ought to be a high bar. I think what the president, the former president did in terms of these documents, he, he clearly had not just one or two documents. He had a large number of documents. He was given every opportunity to return them without criminal liability. He didn't. So it seems to me this is not the weaponization of justice. The president went out of his way almost to force the hand of the Justice Department. And I got the sense that the attorney general was not, how we put it, he was not rushing to prosecute. He understood that to go after a former president who's also a candidate is a dangerous thing in a democracy. It's divisive, as you, as you say. But I actually think the former president brought this on himself. If he were to be re, if he were to be elected, yeah, my guess is he, he might try what he calls retribution, and I think that would be really dangerous in a in a democracy. We should never weaponize whether it's the IRS or the Justice Department. The powers of government lose their legitimacy if they are seen to be used in a, in a as a weapon, or if they're used unfairly, if they're if they're only used to target some and not others. There's got to be a, a a consistency there, or we're asking for trouble. There's a um, uh, <laughs> a new, uh, I, th I think it's a tweet, actually, not a truth social, but it's from Marjorie Taylor Greene, member of the House of Representatives from Georgia. She says, this morning I'm writing an appropriations rider to defund special counsel Jack Smith's office and entire investigation. I will not vote for any appropriations bill to fund the weaponization of government. I hope every one of my Republican colleagues will join me. Quick comment? 
it's her prerogative, and I both hope and expect it will it will fail. Uh, what Jack Smith did, I thought, uh, was was extraordinarily professional. <laughs> but and in any event, it's, it's, it is interesting uh, to specifically target uh, specific projects of the Justice Department and to have uh, sure. Congress rather than the executive branch determining what goes forward and what does not. Um, in, in terms of um, the Bill of Obligations, what do you think will surprise people most that you advocate as an obligation of good citizenship? Well, it's an interesting question. What I hope they run with the most is the idea of uh, supporting the teaching of civics or promoting government service, uh, public service. I hope those are two ideas that catch on. What may surprise them the most Maybe the idea that I had to uh, call for the rejection of violence or calling for civility. What surprised me the most, I'll be honest with you, Michael, was the idea that like, the tenth obligation of putting country first, putting country before party or person, the idea that I even had to say that. It never occurred to me five or ten years ago that I would be writing a book where I'd have to argue that we should be putting country before person or party. And here I am. And that's just... Uh, yeah, you know, it's just something I never thought uh, thought I would be doing.